We are here for such a time as this. And it is amazing. I, my, I mean, obviously, we can't talk about all that has happened since we last met in February. Yeah. But it is unbelievable that we are at this place at this time. And what we're going to talk about tonight, I was just going over the notes. And I am, I am floored that God has given us the opportunity to study what we're right at the cusp of. I mean, you know, um, it, is, it is absolutely amazing. So let's start. So we left off back in February... It's still winter, so it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, right? <clears throat> that um, we were in the part of Ezekiel where we were at the part where God was stating um, and and showing us how He was going to allow these nations that we know we don't have to go through all of that again are going to invade Israel. But the the key is is that He was going to allow it also for two major reasons, actually one major reasons in two modes, so that Israel would finally know their God. Yes. And the nations, the heathen, would know that he is God. Mm-hmm. So that's where we kind of left off. I just want to pick up there a little bit because I think, as you see what's been going on in Syria right now, and, and what, we were just talking about what's going on with Iran, and I just want to let you know what I just told Jesse because he didn't know, and I don't think you knew it. You like just that. Um, huh? Oh, yeah, did. Yeah, oh, yeah, last yeah. night. They attacked Syria again, and they're yeah. going to do it more. But, but here's the key, Iran, right? It's Iran and Russia that are going to lead this coalition. Yeah. So... I was just listening to audio this afternoon during my work time because I had heard about it and I, I immediately found the clips, <clears throat> or the clips was had. And, you know, John Bolton just came in, right? The Warhawk. Now, why did he in for such a time as this? Because he is a Warhawk. He has been clearly stating he wants to evade okay. Iran and he's, we're going to do it now. And he's there, right? So there's a clip of, of John Bolton and even Mayor, the old Mayor, Rudy Giuliani. They're at this convention of, and I don't know who exactly who it was, but it was all of these people involved in the military-industrial complex right now. This just happened, right? This was just within the last couple of days. And John Bolton says verbatim, verbatim, and you can look this clip up. I'm, I'm looking at this, like, I can't believe it, but it's coming. He actually said that we need to bring democracy to Iran. Democracy is what you're all here to bring and spread. And they're all clapping, right? Now, our brand of democracy is what we do. What we've done to Libya, what we've done to Iraq, it's what they do. Okay, so this is the guys. We're going to bring deliver, We're going to bring freedom. We never do that. That's not what we're bringing. And so he said, we're going to bring democracy and he, to Iran. And he said, among other things, but he actually said this. He said that, and we, these people, the army, our, our nation will be in Tehran before or by 2019. That's what he said within the last day. This is John Bolton. By 2019, we will have command of Tehran. Now, if he said that on audio and I got that clip, the Ayatollahs got that clip too. And everybody else got that clip who was interested in knowing our plans and what we said we're going to do. And so now you can see this thing is going to escalate because Iran, now you see the rhetoric that Iran, Iran actually just said, it's a news article I just saw today, that they said that, and again, it's probably not going to happen, but the rhetoric is being jacked up so much that they said that on April 18th, they are going to destroy Israel. Now, they're not going to do it. But the point is, is look what, look what Trump has been saying to Russia. We have our own missiles and they're shiny and new and they're smart and they're coming. <laughs> like, are you looking for a fight? Yeah, we're looking yeah. for a fight. And now we say we're going to invade Iran openly. Tehran, we're going to we're going to own Tehran before 
as Jesus Christ and mourn for him because they killed him. As There's so many people son. seeing it now. Is they're getting close. Right, they're getting close, but they still are blind. They're going to be blind right through the tribulation. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, you know, we're talking about the three and a half million people that are already known that, that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, right, and they're the ones who become Christian, like yes. the first ones in the but church. Believers, but, yeah. But he's talking about, he's not talking about Christians here. He's talking about reconstituted Israel. Yeah. So you're right. A lot of them are coming to become Christians. Already, yeah, they're coming. But if you look at, but if you look at when the church started, they were all Jews. And yeah. So it's the same thing. Out of the accompaniment of Jews in Israel at that time, yeah. there was only this subset that became Christian. So you're right. It's happening. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about this. But you're right. It's coming. So this is the, this is where we are. So he says here, um, and the heathen and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. So that's the goal. That's what the the two prong effect that he's talking about. Moving down to Ezekiel thirty nine and verse eight, and here it is, right here. Behold, it is come. Like okay, no more waiting. This is it. This is it, and it is done. God calls things that are coming complete already. Says the Lord God, this is the day where I have spoken. The day that we're always talking about. He's saying, this is about right now. It is here. He's saying, and they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire for seven years. Now remember, we all talked about that. And that's not a metaphor. That's real. Okay. So let's, let's, let's move on here. So we have to first understand that, number one, before we move on very quickly, the battle of Gog and Magog, because of this time frame that we know is not a metaphor, and other things we know, must take place before the seven-year tribulation period. It has to be. That's the first thing, because it's going to be seven years. So we have to look at that. The second thing, the battle of Gog and Magog cannot be the seven-year tribulation period. It can't be. It can may interface into it, but it can't be. No, it can't. Through this horrific worldwide war of which the invaded Israel is the centerpiece, Israel will emerge as the victor. Okay? We're talking about Israel emerging as a victor and then the third temple operating in sacrifices. They're probably not going to be doing much of that while they're recovering from being invaded. That's what I'm saying here. Again, there's always room here that this could be wrong, but you're looking at the time frame and how it has to work out. Okay? Uh, Israel will recover in the seven-year span, that seven-year span that we just talked about, and become the burial ground for the defeated soldiers that fall in the land as the people cleanse the land of the inv- from the invasion. Now remember, we know that the book of Ezekiel says that they're going to be people in permanent employment by the Israeli government, burying people. They're going to be so preoccupied at cleaning up the mess of being invaded. It, it can't be that time. It can't be that time. It has to be that they're going to be concentrating on this. The Antichrist will solidify and ratify a seven-year peace covenant and a tribulation will probably commence just after the invasion and just after this national cleansing. Okay? And again, this is, I'm not being dogmatic about it. I'm just trying to set us in the time frame here because that seven years is a long time of... That, you know, it's a long span of time. And finally, the Great Tribulation commences where Jesus arrives at his second coming, right, after the Great Tribulation to cut short the time when no flesh should be saved alive. But... A lot of things have to happen, including that. So we have some time yet here. You know what I'm saying? So as, as it was said about Mark Twain's demise, he says, you know, the, the rumor, the, the, my death, how did everybody put it? You know what I'm saying, right? Uh, rumors of my, my death, death are my greatly death exaggerated, death. right. So I want us to say where I look at this, we are so close, okay? But we're not at the end of the world yet. And we know that 
we have at least seven years, at least, that have to be done, and at least a thousand years after that, that Christ is going to reign, and that's before the renewal of the, not renewal, but the new heaven and the new earth. So if you look at that, we have to say that there's a gap that we still have to see, that we don't know what's going to work, but all this points to pretty much a gap between now and the, when, the, when the tribulation actually starts. What we don't know, and this is the key, how long it's going to be. Could it be 10 years? Could it be 5 years? Sure, it could be. And when was the rapture happen? The rapture doesn't happen immediately just before the tribulation. It could be years before. So what's coming now, what we're seeing as building up at war, could be that Russia's going to attack the uh, United States with an EMP, and we're going to be pushed into the Stone Age, and that's going to be a great cover for many people to disappear because many people will die in the first few days if you have a whole nation without power or without, without food transport and without hospitals. You, you know what's going to happen, the chaos? And I think we're going to be saved out of that if and when that happens. So just something to think about, just to set the stage as we move forward. Okay, so now we can set the stage, we can move forward. Okay, so let's read on to maybe prove some of these suppositions. Just let's read and we'll, we'll see if we can just put some meat on these bones here. Let Ezekiel do this, do this for us. Ezekiel 39, verse 10 and onward. So this is where I'm going to start reading here. Ezekiel 39, verse 10. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, right? This is Israel cleaning up their land and burning their weapons. Neither cut down any of the forests and, and yada yada, and going into 11. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place thereof, graves in Israel. So Gog is going to be destroyed. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be powerless because so many of their are going to be defeated on that land and buried. And so moving forward to verse 12, and the seven months, and seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them. And then for seven years, they're going to be burning the weapons. They're going to be really preoccupied here. Verse 13 of 39. Yes, all of the people of the land, all of the people of the land shall bury them. Everybody's going to be busy. <laughs> okay, and it shall be to them a renown, a renown the day that I shall be glorified. So this is all part of them doing this, realizing that God's up to something here. So there's a transition that's taking place among these people at this moment. There's a lot going on here. That's why I say it's before the tribulation or around that time. But again, we'll see. Or they'll see. Verse 14. Um, and they shall sever out men of continual employment. And we know that because I just said that. Verse 15. And the passengers that pass through to the land shall see all that. And I don't think... I really have to go through the rest of that, but you get the point. So let's move on. Now, out of this war and invading nations, obviously supernatural defeat, right? The whole, there's going to be supernatural defeat of these nations in Israel. Oh, so he's going to do it. Yeah. yeah well, this is what, and he's so establishing. That's right. Otherwise, Israel's, Israel's done. And, and, and then the tribulation will have to start like right then, but it's not, it can't be because they can't build the third temple. None of that's going to happen. They're not going to be set up. So we see that this all has to happen somewhere to, to facilitate all of that. Um, but, but, but they will have no choice but to finally acknowledge the truth about the history of Israel, the nations around them, right? The heathen, because they're going to also recognize God. This is what he said. And the truth of the Bible narrative that, that, uh, that told all of this. Now, hopefully what that means is that there'll be so many people saved during that time. I still think that's maybe after the rapture. I, I still think that that personally, I think that's what's going to be. I think we're going to be gone before all of this happens. Something's going to happen. Or it could be in the middle of this. 
But it's going to be around that time. This is all happening around that time. That's what I said. It just began to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's happening very quick. That's right. That's right. So, but it really sets up both the as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, again, the separation of the sheep and the goats. And those who are being called will respond. There will be so many who will respond that they will probably go into the tribulation already primed to have, be beheaded because they already have accepted Christ. But... They're not part of the church if we're raptured. That's a, there's a different people. Different. different purpose. They're not part of the bride of Christ. They're going to be guests later on. You know, this is a different story. We are special. We are special. Okay. So now, let's, having established that, let's move forward. See, I'm, I'm making good time here. I'm keeping on target because you don't talk me talking about Trump and stuff. That's right. That's right. The rooster doesn't care about geopolitics. That's right. The rooster raises no man. All right. So let's move forward to what seems to be past the tribulation period and moving into the millennium. And this is what we're going to really focus on tonight is this, this fourth temple. The fourth temple. Okay? This is the key. And this is the, this is the best way to wrap up. They have all the preparations for the temple already. Right now, but that's the third temple. For the third temple, yes. We're, we're, we're getting past that. Yeah. We, we, I think we've already established that the third temple is... Something we shouldn't be looking forward to. I mean, for us, because it means we're close to the end and we're getting out of here. But it's nothing blessed, right? By the way, I just found out today, as a side note, remember we talked about the reconstituted Sanhedrin and how they minted that coin with Cyrus and Trump on it? We talked about it. Okay. Just today I found out they're coming out with another coin right now, a special coin. That's what they were saying on on Gen 23. Is that what you were talking about? Okay, because I didn't understand if that's what you were talking about, but I found out about it today. So there's another coin which they're minting right now, which has a smaller relief of Cyrus and Trump, the same profiles, but it is a special 70th year commemoration. And they're selling these coins because they're doing this to drum up interest and money. Now they're focusing on the third temple. And you know that they're looking at Trump as the guy who's going to be the Cyrus. They're already saying, yeah. it's not just the, the foolishness of the church that's saying this, but the, the Sanhedrin are pushing it because they want Trump to be the man. They want Trump to be the Messiah. They want him to be. They no, want they him already, to be at least the Cyrus. They, they already have na- uh, uh, something named about Trump. In well, they're gonna, well, they're going to have a train station named after him when <laughs> they have the train station, which is going to be feeding, because there's going to be a lot of people coming to that Temple Mount. once Because that's going to be a temple for all nations, the third temple, right? And so they're going to have a lot of people coming to that Temple Mount. They're, gonna, they're building an extension to a train station, that's, uh, to a train system that's going to go there, and that Trump is that station is going to be Trump Station, and it's going to be the last stop, which is going to be the one. This is what they're planning. So, isn't this weird? It's weird. It's very, very weird. Right. It's also not in the Bible. Right. But it's very weird how they want Trump to be the man. They want him, and they're pushing. I know God put him there for a reason. Well, of course, God puts them all. God put Obama there for and Hitler there for a reason too. But anyway, so let's look, let's look at Ezekiel 39, 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now will I bring again... Now, it says in some translations, the captivity, right? What does it say in... in give me an example. Um, captivity of NIV. Okay, captivity. Is there anybody reading the NIV? Captives I mean, of Jacob and have mercy Yeah. Restore the fortunes. Restore the fortunes. That's the one I wanted to hear. Oh, yes. So think of what I'm, I'm trying to do here because you got to think about this. Sometimes, because of the way they used English in the old days, 
when they say something like when you see it says captivity, he, it sounds like he says, now I will bring again the captivity, like I'm going to bring them into bondage, which doesn't make sense in the context of this. So that's the correct translation. So if you read it the way it's supposed to be read, it makes sense. So this is what he's saying here. Again, in the context of all that's going on in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Therefore, thus says the Lord, now will I bring again the fortunes of Jacob. The fortunes. He's going to bring back their fortunes and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel. See, if you have captivity, it doesn't make sense. So now it makes sense. So the correct translation is, I will, I will, he's going to establish Israel very firmly. He's going to be merciful to them. He's going to give them prosperity again and have mercy upon them and heal them. And I will be jealous for my holy name. After that, they have borne their shame, which is going to be in that time frame. Also, now listen to this, and this is key where we're headed here. We know because Daniel said it, right? And we know that the tribulation is for Israel. It's the restart of the clock of the judgment for Israel. Do we agree? The church age is a parenthetical pause in the judgment clock, which Daniel didn't specifically see. He saw up to the time when Messiah came and was cut off, but not for himself. And then he looked forward to the rest of the story, right? The tribulation, which he details. But there's that 2,000-year gap, which he did not see. Okay, that's the church age. But he makes it clear, if you look at the 70 weeks of Daniel, that the 70th week between the 69th and 70th week is the pause. We're in that pause. The tribulation is the restart of the clock. And he says, he says verbatim to complete the transgressions, right? To sum up the sin, which means this is going to be now the final and complete judgment of Israel so God can do this. So we know he's talking about the, the millennium. We agree? Okay, so this is why we know we, we know he's talking about the millennium because what he's saying here, after they have borne their shame, it's done. The judgment is done. The fortunes are being restored. They're going to look upon, I think we're going to get to this in a second here, as Messiah. They're going to realize they're going to be unblinded. Their prosperity is going to come back. And they're going to say, oh yes, this is Jesus, our Messiah. So listen to this, in that context. And all their, tresp all their trespasses, where thereby had they had transgressed me, when, when they dwelt safely in the land, which is right now, they're still trespassing in blindness, right? So he's saying, right now, they have borne their shame, so that's all done, and their trespasses, where they buy, they have trust me, when they dwelt safely in the land, which is just before the tribulation, since 1948, and none made them afraid, okay? Verse 30, chapter 38 and verse 9, you shall ascend and come, okay, wait, wait, did I miss something here? I think I did something else. Yeah, 26. Thank you. And after that, they have borne their shame. I think I read that. Okay. So that's what he's saying. So now that's setting the time frame. That's what I missed. I want to make sure that's just setting the time frame. So now we're talking about entering the millennium. Okay. Uh, now, in, in verse 38 and 9, 10, 11, and 12, it, it, actually, verse 30, chapter 39 and 36 is really a, an historical reference. And I'm not going to read it here. I have it here. But just know that it. Chapter 39, 36 is now, after he says that, a historical reference to chapter 38, 9 through 12, which is when they get invaded and all that stuff. It's chapter 39, 36. 39, 36? There is no 39, 36. Didn't, what did, I, did I misquote it? Uh-oh. i got to check my notes here. 39, There's no verse 36. 26. I must have found 26. Okay. How about 39, 27? Can we start there? i got to fix that. All right. A typo. Sorry. But that's the history. Okay, so, so 27. 
Now, when I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, culminating in 1948, this is the re recap, and, have, and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations through the invasion and all of the stuff we just read, right? Then, in, in 39.28, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen, but I have gathered them unto their own land and left, left none of them anymore there. Okay. Perfect. That's what I tried to say, and i got to fix all that up. Thank you. All right. So here's the bridging of the tribulation period into the millennium, where Christ is king of kings and lords of lords on the earth, and Israel is the head of the nations. And we're moving again toward this fourth temple, because this is the cadence of Ezekiel, 38, 39, and then 40, which is the biggie. So that's what we're getting to. Okay. So in Ezekiel chapter 39 and 29, verse 29, neither... This is the outgrowth of all of this, right? Neither will I hide my face any more from them. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, says the Lord. That's the end of the story for that piece, right? Okay. I'm going to read you, if you want to follow me, is Zechariah 12, verse 10, which is saying this. Now, Zechariah is like the mini apocalypse, that book. So it maps into this, as you see, because I've read it as I've read Ezekiel 30, Ezekiel. I've read parts of Zechariah. So I'm going to do that again. What we just read, what you just read here, think of this as we read Ezekiel 12 and 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Israel, or the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me. And who's the me? Jesus, whom they have pierced. So we know it's Jesus because they're the ones who pierce them. And this is what's going to happen. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So you can see they're going to have deep regrets as God brings them to the light of what happened and why. Okay. So the result of the whole war, 38, 39, and we map it in Ezekiel, I mean Zechariah, is that the nations will acknowledge God's deliverance of his people and Israel, right? Of his people Israel, and, and his people Israel will better understand his protective power and plan for them, Israel. The nations around Israel, all around the world, the heathen will see this. God now fulfills all of his promises to Israel just as he had restored them to the land after 2,000 years. And we see he's going to show favor on them, give them prosperity and all that stuff. Hand in hand in this restoration and in the outcome of the invasion and God's deliverance will be Israel's renewed reverence for God and the forsaking, the final forsaking of idolatry, which kept God beating them all these centuries, right? All these thousands of years. Israel will finally acknowledge and accept Yeshua, the one and only Jesus Christ of the scriptures, and that is their Messiah. And that's what we're talking about here. So now we've got to continue forward. We're going to move forward now into the post-tribulation world, right? Where Jesus comes back, the millennium. This is now why Ezekiel is going to start talking about the fourth temple. Because in all of this, the tribulation's already happened. The third temple's been there. The Antichrist moves in, and they have the great tribulation and all of that, right? And then finally, he's destroyed. He's put into hell with the beast and the false prophet. The first inhabitants of hell are those three. That's it. There's the first inhabitants, right? The so third... Basically, jumping from the beginning of the tribulation to the right. millennium, yep, and it's, so it's kind of like not addressing the tribula tribulation and all those other activities. That's right, all, right? right, and that's the point because this that's book that's a very interesting point, and the, and the, I think the reason is because I found the same thing. Yeah. The tribulation is 
like the Bible's here a little, there a little. The tribulation is really detailed more in Daniel. And if you remember, the three books, right, Daniel f for the Gentiles, which is going to be involved in the tribulation, and God's going to use the Gentiles to meet out the tribulation. Ezekiel is the timeline for the Jews, which includes the tribulation, but not the details of it. The, the, Ezekiel, you see, maps out retribution and restoration all the way through. And then Revelation maps out for the church and, and really the after all of this, what happens at the very end, even though this is included, but right after it, in, during it and afterwards, and then after the millennium when Jesus Christ comes back, and during the millennium when Jesus Christ comes back, and then it cuts through a thousand years like that and says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and then the book ends. So that is, I think, the answer to it. That's why you have to look through the whole I Bible. Think, I think that's why there's a lot of confusion is because we try to put a linear timeline. I agree. Um, I agree. On these books, and, yep. and they don't, that's they don't map that's, like that. That's not the structure. Right. And not only that, not only you're right, Lois, but remember how many times that we've talked about in our classes together, right? When you would look at a book and say, the only timeline marker is in the years of this king and in this month of this day, right? And you might say that, and if you don't know the cadence of the kings and how they came and went, and if you don't know the months of Israel, you wouldn't understand it. You might think the books are linear, but you could take a book and say, here's the time marker, and then read the next book right after it and realize that book occurred before. So within the books, we see the same kind of thing. And that's a very good observation. And that's why I think, again, the church doesn't understand all that God has given us to understand. And it's amazing because the Jews understand a lot of the mechanics that we're talking about, but they don't have the truth. They don't understand the truth. We understand the truth, but we won't, we, won't, we won't dovetail it with the facts. And that's the problem. So that's good observation. They will understand if they were not blind. <laughs> yeah. right. Blindness is a horrible thing. That's right. So let's keep moving on here. But So now you see where we are. Very good observation. So this is why now Ezekiel is going to move right now to the fourth temple, to the millennium. This is, this is the real restoration. This is the point, okay? He fulfills all the promises. So now we move to the post-tribulation world where Jesus has come back, right? What they wanted him to do was to bring the kingdom when he was here the first time, and they were kind of frustrated because he didn't do that, right? And so they were kind of sad. Like they didn't know he was going to have to die, and the apostles didn't know really what was going on with all this stuff, and they were kind of disappointed. And they're still angry at him. <laughs> and the Roman Empire is coming back, too. It's like, why don't you just take care of it when you were here? But he's going to do it. <clears throat> so, the, the, the promise of the, the Davidic covenant, okay, which they're waiting for, which they're so crazy about, they, they don't know the truth about because they're blind, is now going to take place. Much to their chagrin, because even the rabbis have been thwarted because of their supposed wisdom. So this is where we are. Okay. So he's going to take his place on the, on, the, on the throne of David. Now remember, if you have David on the throne, it has to be in a temple. You have to have a temple that was built for God, and David is going to be the king, the king of kings and, and all that kind of thing. So that's what you have to have. And David never sat in that temple. He wasn't allowed to build the temple, but we know all of that. But that is the promise, that the line of David and the king will be there, and we know that this is the Davidic covenant, so it's going to take place. So there will be a fourth temple, which we know. So we're past the third temple, which a lot of Christians don't even think about a fourth temple. So I'm going to give you some interesting facts. You're going to like this, because I found this interesting when I did this research about... This fourth temple, it's a sensitive subject. And as a side note, when we went to Israel, our tour guide, who was a Jew, but very learned man, this guy knew the New Testament better than I do, but he's blind, right? 
So didn't I ask him about the fourth temple, Ezekiel's temple? And he's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> he couldn't even talk about it. <laughs> he's like, I'm sure he wasn't thinking that anybody was going to ask him about that. Because nobody ever asked him about that. He even asked me, he says, what do you do for a living? And I told him, he goes, oh, I thought you went to Bible college. or I thought you were a pastor or something. Because I know things and I can ask him questions. And she did too. Where average Christians don't ask because they don't know this much about the Bible. It's like just stump, stump the tour guide, you know? Well, particularly the Old Testament. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Mike, I want to ask you. always one step ahead of them, too. Yeah, like, you said wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. No, I'm getting to that. Yeah. And, and I think it's great because it, it sort of put a bond between me and him. And I don't know if it was any kind of witness. But it's like, yeah, you know, look, all these Christians, yet I, I care enough about the truth to talk to you about it. Because this is more meaningful to you as a Jew than you, you may think it is to us. And you're kind of right. Most Christians don't care about the truth to this level. Anyway. He hadn't, oh, Ezekiel, well, Ezekiel 38, we didn't really talk about that much. We talked about Ezekiel 40 in the temple. Because I asked him. Because he knew all about that. But uh, his take was really, he, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to show you why. Because all of Israel is still like that. Because there's a blindness and a block. They don't want to see the truth because if they acknowledge what this fourth temple really is, they have to change their whole paradigm. And it's going to blow the rabbis out of the water as the, as the, the uh, end all and be all of wisdom and control. It's, it's, going to, it's going to mess them up and they can't do it. Let me explain. You'll see. Let me, we, have, we have a few minutes. I'm going to get into this. Okay. So the fourth, thank you. So the fourth temple is going to be the final earthly physical temple. That's going to be at least for a thousand years. And I'm thinking, and I don't want to get into it now, obviously, but it's maybe an eternal physical temple because there's always going to be an eternal physical earth, and there are going to be people on the earth. And I don't and want to I go that far you, yet. And well. I ask you, um, um, on the second coming of Christ, he's yeah. coming to the fourth temple. Right. But um, he will build it. He's not coming to it. He will build it. What are we coming with him? Yes, but but, but the temple is a That's separate the issue. The second coming. Yes, that's after the tribulation, right? The second yes. coming. The first coming already came. The secret taking away, which is not considered the second coming, is when we're raptured and we go with him. But it's a secret. But when all eyes see him, from, from the rising, like the sun rises in the east and sets in the west as he's coming, and all nations and every eye will see him, that's when he also says, and if I didn't cut short those days, no flesh would be saved alive. That's what you're talking about. And that's when he shows up with us on our white horses. And then the, third, the fourth temple gets built Right after that, because he moves in as king. I already saw him going. Oh, he, he already showed me in a, in, a, in a revelation, a dream I saw him. Oh boy. Well, I haven't seen him yet, so I'm waiting to see that. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on to now the last chapters of the book, because we have 25 minutes and I don't want to beat that rooster. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the fourth temple. Here's some background. Some background information, chapters 40 to 48, it's a long read. I'm not going to go through all of it, but let me give you some background about this whole thing with this fourth temple. About 70 AD, now you know what happened in 70 AD. The second temple was finally destroyed, which Jesus prophesied before that, so it finally happened. Okay, Around that time, and this is fact, I just condensed it because I looked all of this up. Rabbis and Jewish leaders at that time, they were amazed at the temple being destroyed. Yet again, right? It's like, okay, what do we do now? And this figure, Jesus, came and left and didn't bring in the kingdom. It's like, okay, they're really confused now. So they don't know what they're going to do. So rabbis and Jewish leaders in Israel were working on standardizing the Jewish laws and practices again. They were trying to regroup and because Jesus wasn't there to be a rebel rouser anymore. But they had this thing called the way now, which was spreading. But they were still trying to standardize this thing. 
So one of the main things they were trying to do on that time was standardizing what would become the canon of the Hebrew scriptures. While the church was new and trying to canonize what would become the scriptures for all of us, right? They were in the background trying to come up with the scriptures for them. Okay, because they, they were unsure of a lot of things at this point because of all that had happened in such a short time. So it was a rigorous process. And during the process, when they came to these writings of Ezekiel, which we have and as part of our scripture, which of course we need that there. This is a big centerpiece of the scriptures, right? It has to be. Well, this is what happened. During the process, the book of Ezekiel came into question as to whether it even should be part of the canon of the Hebrew scriptures. This, this is because of this very thing. And so as it would work out, the book became, was difficult for them, mainly because of chapters 40 through 48, which we're going to get into somewhat tonight. And this is the key. In their point of view, these special rabbis and all these people, these wise men trying to figure all this out and make their way through all of this after all these things with Jesus and the temple and all that stuff. In their point of view, Ezekiel was introducing new sacrificial laws and a vision of a completely new and foreign temple architecture that departed from that which was given in the original Torah in Exodus, which you're going to see that picture, which I'm going to put up now, so on this TV here. So you should see that back and behind me. Okay, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Get that picture out there. Get the dog out of the camera so I can see you. All right. Maybe I'd rather see the dog. Get the picture up, Jesse. Okay. All right. So this is their problem now because they realize and they're looking at, should we even put this book in, this, in their canon because this fourth temple is really weird. Look at that picture. It's really weird. I'm going to compare them in a second. So here it is. These, these chapters revealed new instructions, which we'll see, that deviated a lot from the original instructions given in Exodus, which you can start looking at this picture right here. Also, the orthodox practices prescribed in the temple liturgy were unfamiliar. Because if you look at the construct of the temple, it changes the way that the liturgy was done because the temple construct is different. I know it's kind of small to see. Um, I'm going to go over it in a second. The fourth temple design... It's difficult? Well, no, it's very different. different. Okay, good. Yeah, it is. I'm trying to bend away from here. So listen to this while you're looking at that picture. Although you won't see it here because it's not everything's to scale. But the fourth temple design they figured out when they were looking at Ezekiel chapter 40 and onward is much larger than the tabernacle or even Solomon's temple from Second Chronicles, the physical dimensions. Ezekiel's temple also specified different interior design features, which you can see here, right? With some critical furnishings actually no longer there. So there's no menorah, there's a couple of other different things. So you can see how they look at this and say the whole temple liturgy is screwed up. They can't understand this. It's like, maybe this book shouldn't be in there. Maybe it's a farce. So, the furnishings emitted from the fourth temple are the Ark of the Covenant, the menorah, the showbread, the table of showbread, and you can understand why. The whole, if you walk, look at the, the, the Torah temple, right, and you walk in from the outer court, well, from the outside of it in, you see the progression of Jesus through the whole thing, right? And if the Ark of the Covenant is gone, that, that's a big deal because they got to find that for the third temple. That's where God lives. That's where the, 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 the Ten Commandments were, the budding rod of Moses, right? I mean, of Aaron. It's all of that's not there. The showbread table, the wave sheaves and all that stuff, gone. So listen to this. During this time, there rose a teacher, and his name, this is his actual name in history, Hananiah ben Hezekiah, which means his, his name is, he's from the line of Hezekiah. That's what it probably means. 
And at that time, he wrote a detailed, he analyzed this because he was trying to settle this out for everybody. And that's when he made his life's work. So this Hananiah ben Hezekiah wrote a detailed comparative analysis of the Ezekiel temple versus the original Exodus temple. So now you can see this is what he's trying to reconcile, which can't be reconciled. So that's what he said. That's what he did. And, and so it looks like God must have inspired the rabbis to accept ben Hezekiah's analysis because you can't reconcile these two. So... They finally did, after much consternation, and even after this exhaustive analysis, decide, yes, we should keep the book of Ezekiel in the canon. Well, God wouldn't have it any other way. Can you imagine if, if we didn't have this in our Bible? It would be impossible. Besides, this chronicles God's main thrust with the house of Israel and Judah, right? Without Ezekiel, you've got a huge hole in the Bible, and the rest of the Bible could not possibly make sense. And how could anybody figure out what God's plan is for Israel if you don't have the book of Ezekiel? You can't. So this is the consternation, right? To even question it. So here's the picture. And since, so, so since those days of the original debate in 8070, the rabbinical community decided that the two temple patterns must be reconciled, and now it becomes a matter of orthodoxy. And that's why our tour guide couldn't answer it. Because for them, if you say... It's a fourth temple for the Messiah. You're blown out of the water because they're all ready to build the third temple. They don't even know what this fourth temple is about. So if you advertise that and you're a Jew, you're anathema to them. So you got now it's political. It's orthodoxy, right? So basically, they've concluded in their religious zeal that and have forced forced the idea that the third temple must come, and that when it does, it must be the fulfillment of this future temple of Ezekiel. They can't reconcile it, but in order to keep the book in there and try to figure this out, it's a matter of orthodoxy. They said, look, we're not even going to debate this anymore. This must be that. We just don't understand. They actually just don't understand. But see, this is the problem. So now you, you know that they think that the third temple is for their Messiah, which they're still waiting for. They have no clue in reality of what's coming. And so they're going to think that this whole thing, if you look at the book of Ezekiel, what leads to chapter 40 is restoration, is God restoring them. They're going to link the third temple to what we just read in Ezekiel, which can't happen until after the third temple. But if they are saying it's the same, you see the problem they cornered? They boxed themselves in. So they're saying that the third temple must be built to bring about this restoration of the fortunes of Judah and all these things that Ezekiel said, which they kept in because they want that, and God reveals themselves and saves them, and, and then all the nations know that's why it's going to be a temple for all nations to them. You see the problem they're having here? So that's what this is all about. Well, and it, does, it does happen, but in a different way than they expect, because basically the third temple becomes what offerings in the tribulation, that's right. the Antichrist, and eventually is destroyed. Right. But oh, they no. not go to the, but to them they're so blind, they want they don't want to see that. That's why they're pushing for this third temple. That's right. Amen to that. Oh, now that now that, I understand why in the rapture the Jewish believers are going to go, and the ones that are left here are the ones right. that don't understand about the fourth temple. Of course, temple. that's right. Because first of all, if you think about it, in Christ there is no Jew. There is no There's Greek. No there is yeah. no Gentile. Yeah. The only no advantage a Jew has, the only advantage a Jew has becoming a Christian is they should have a, a running start on knowing Scripture. But remember, most of the Jews, most of them, right, do not look at the Torah anyway. They look at the Talmud. 
They do not care about the actual written scripture. They care about the oral traditions. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what they did. And that's why if you look at the, the history in the Essenes, right, they, they disappear from history. All of this really started in the intertestinal period in earnest. And that's when they started all of this stuff, right, when the Maccabees and all that stuff. They came out and they said, look, we're going to have this oral tradition, and that's what they're going to, they're going to do. And then and they come, you know, they start being restored. But, but the Essenes were also at that time looking at these things, but they're the ones who accepted the truth of Messiah, and they actually wrote in, 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 in Dead Sea Scrolls that, about the, the history of the Essenes, and I've, I've seen this from people who have the Dead Sea Scrolls, that they kind of disappear because they decided that they will follow Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, Yeshua, and they, they, all they knew was that Yeshua said to spread the gospel to all nations, and they'd started doing that, so they weren't part of the Jewish community anymore. And that makes that point. So, let's wrap up with this. You got the picture there? Let's take a look at this and then we'll wrap up. So, I thought all of this would be really interesting because this book of Ezekiel is so pivotal and, it, and, and Satan wanted it out of the scriptures so bad he was going to use his Jews, his rabbis, to get it out of there. But how could you figure out all of the most important stuff, especially for the end? Because Satan doesn't want them to know this. So, look. If you look at the, the, the standard Torah tabernacle on the left, you'll see the most holy place, right? And here's the, here's the, the curtain that got rent from the, from the bottom up, as I understand, when Jesus died. So A, we have the Ark of the Covenant in there. B, we have the two veils of the drapery, the two veils, right? C, we have the altar of incense. D, the table of showbread, which is on that left side. So as you're coming in, that's on the left. The, the priest would go there and, and work with that. And then the menorah was always on the right. Okay, and there's the candelabra there. Um, and then the altar of burnt offering, offering which is here out in the, at, the, at the courtyard here, was used as a ramp, had a ramp rising from the south, right? So this is where they would take care of all those offerings. Now, one thing I want to make clear, which I didn't really care about until I really realized what it meant. When you as a Jew would bring your offerings, right, for your sin offerings, it would bring your goats and your, your doves, whatever, the priest wouldn't do the slaying. You did it. You, you had to slay that sacrifice yourself. The only thing the priest did was put the bucket under there to get the blood. And then when he took the blood, then he would do all of the stuff and get in here. And, over. and then once a year, you had the atonement for everybody, which was really the type of Christ. The Day of Atonement was the one time that one sacrifice <coughs> was for all the sins of Israel. <coughs> But every other day, after and before, you paid for your own sins by bringing your own sacrifice, and you slit its throat. But the priest, who was your mediator, was the one who caught the blood. You see the poeticness yeah. of this here? So that's, what, that's the liturgy of the temple. So they know this, they do this, and now you have this thing on the right, which is totally different. It screws all of that stuff up. So what don't we have here? We don't have, uh, let's see, the altar of, we have X, which is an altar of wood, right? Rather than C, which is the altar of incense. It's interesting. It's wood, not incense. Because the prayers of the incense, I'm thinking that, again, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here, but what is incense to God now? Our prayers, right? When he's physically here, we pray directly to him. He's going to be there with his people. So there's, this is, there's no need for that kind of incense, I'm thinking, but this is the key. Um, an altar of wood, this was also called the table that is before the Lord in there in the book. And why we have why we have two sets of where are we here? Uh, two sets of wooden folding doors, which we don't have here. 
wooden folding doors. No mention of the Ark of the Covenant. Is that because this is where the true Messiah will sit in real life? The Spirit. Or because the one is in heaven is coming down. Well, that's Jesus Christ, right? He, he is the Ark of the Covenant. He is the embodiment, the Ten Commandments, and the priesthood, the budding rod of Aaron. I mean, the 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 um, the uh, uh, we call the government, right? All of that, the the the, the pres presiding over it all, right? And the manna, the provision, right? Yeah. He is all of that. So he is the Ark of the Covenant, right? He that's that's what it looks to me. So there's no so how how can you be a Jew? Look at this. Look at that description. No wonder it caused such a stir, right? And also, finally, you notice that the stairs are from the east and not from the south. How does Messiah come? From the east. So this is all messed up. But you notice there are some similarities. You have the altar of burnt offering. So we know that not only are the sacrifices going to be reinstated for the third temple, and then this Antichrist is going to stop them, move in, and you're going to have the Great Tribulation, but during the time that Jesus is here, they're still going to be doing the sacrifices. There's still going to be a physical law for Israel. And that's why I said this is going to be probably for eternity. And I have a reason for thinking that. Because there's still going to be human beings on this earth. There's going to be a new Jerusalem in heaven, but the earth is still going to be here. And this temple will probably be here. And there, and there will be a physical law for physical people. Now, again, I'm not going to get into all why I think that, but I'm not the only one who thinks that. But my point is, during the millennium, what does it also say about the Feast of Tabernacles, which is part of the Old Testament law, right? What did Israel have to do during the Feast of Tabernacles? They had to come to Jerusalem. That was one of the times they had to come and, make, and come to the temple. What does it say in that time? If you read in the book of Ezekiel, right, every nation must come. must come. It doesn't matter whether they're Jews or not. So you know you're going to have Jews in other nations. Israel will be the head of the nations, but you will also have Gentiles. And they will learn of the Lord, and they will have the time to accept or not. So you're still going to have this whole thing of... And it says that because there will be disobedience, we know that, because they said, what happens if any nation chooses not to send representatives at least to come up, which is disrespectful? They're not going to get rain. Sort of like Elijah. So all of this stuff, this law, the physical law, and the physical pluses and minuses of keeping or of disobeying... People are still going to be there, and they're still going to be sinners, even during the millennium. And the Bible doesn't say much about what happens after that. So, other than there's a new Jerusalem, but the earth will always be here. What's well, a new heaven and a new earth, so who knows? Right, who knows? But, but, the, but the new Jerusalem will be hovering. But there will always be an earth. It'll be a new earth. It'll be renewed. So, it won't be renewed. It's going to be brand new. And so you're right. So, I don't even want to go past that. I'm just speculating at this point. But that's what I wanted to wrap up with tonight. So I thought you'd find this interesting. And then what we'll do next time we meet in two weeks is we'll just pretty much wrap up Ezekiel. 